we've made so many mistakes and we've also had so many successes. So a lot of the changes, um, we've changed our actual model in itself, but then from franchising, creating that culture, both internal, and I know a lot of people had it during COVID, but create a remote culture where people just aren't with you all the time. That's a very complex thing to do that I would still take any tips if you have tips on that. But we definitely try to intentionally work towards, uh, we have all, you know, locations throughout and some of them can have one or two locations and then others have like our Nashville locations have five within each other. They're able to create a team environment, but from the franchisor trying to create that culture has definitely been a challenge. But one thing that I think we're getting a lot better at as we continue to grow. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, you're going to love this interview with Karen from Iron Tribe Fitness. I don't think we've had very many franchisors on the podcast. And this was a really, really interesting episode where they get into some of the idiosyncrasies of being a franchisor how to service franchise partners, um, whether franchise partners are really your customers or whether they're the mutual customers or customers. Talking about the growth of the organization, they also have nine corporate locations, 29 total locations. She's been with the company since very, very early on, was actually a customer. Um, so she talks about her growth coming into the organization, being present to the organization for 11 years. And a lot of the um, the things that even hit them during COVID, when imagine being in an industry where you're completely shut down and you have to pivot and try to figure out how do you save all of your customers and franchise partners through something like COVID when you're not even allowed to stay open. So some really, really cool stuff here. Hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you on the inside and make sure you share these as well. Karen, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on here with you. Yeah, looking forward to um, to learning from you. We have not had a lot of franchise organizations on as podcast guests, which really reminds me that I really should reach out to a bunch. So I'm going to make a side note to start reaching out to some of the, the best of the best franchisors out there. So what was it about Iron Tribe that and, and when was it that Iron Tribe decided to franchise? So we started, decided to franchise in about 2013, but it was always the model. So originally, I actually wasn't a part of the team. I was a, a client. I was one of the very first clients of the first concept model in Little Homewood, Alabama. And I came on about a year later, but then the, the concept was always to multiply and scale. So originally, the founder was a master franchisor of Fitness Together, and he wanted to create another model concept that he could scale. So ultimately, we officially launched in 2013 after we had already done two gyms ourselves to prove the proof of concept. And we were working on opening location three and four while we started franchising. Interesting. Okay. So you were a client first and then decided mm-hmm. to join. What was it that you saw that wanted you to kind of get in and start working with them then? Yeah. At the time I was like um, probably 40 pounds heavier than I am now and just really needed I mean, I was, a, I was a kid. I consider myself a kid. I was 25, 26 at the time. And this was 13 years ago. So it's been a, a while. And ultimately it was, I didn't realize how fitness could affect the rest of your life. Like everything, if you can handle your body, if you can handle discipline, if you can take care of yourself, 
when you really put pride in yourself, everything else just starts to matter. And Forrest, the CEO, he did a goal setting workshop at the gym, which I thought was very strange, but I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was all in. I really wanted to be a part of it. So I went to it and learned how to set goals at a mid 20 something year old. I've been to college and everything and never really been taught that concept. So ultimately set a goal, won a challenge that they put on. And then my second goal after that was I wanted to work for this company. It literally changed my life and I saw that it was going to grow. So I had to be a part of it. Was that by design? I mean, you mentioned kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. Was the culture kind of by design right from the early days versus so many places that are just a gym, just a gym, just a gym? Absolutely. So that was something that was always for us a passion in general. So he's very much more like visionary, sees the big picture. And you could tell that he really wanted to make the culture great. And it naturally was in the beginning. But then also we needed to make certain that the staff was being taken care of, that the bigger we got, that all of that continued. But his biggest thing is, is in fitness, most people trade time for money. So you've got a personal trainer. If you don't show up, you don't get paid, all of that. And he was that for quite a few years and in his earlier days and realized he wanted to be able to support a family. So the vision of the company is to create careers in fitness. So everybody with us is salary, they're taken care of, they get 401ks, all of that, um, versus just only hiring, you know, young kids out of school and hoping to keep them for a year or two. We have coaches that have been with us for over 10 years still coaching and we're able to take their kids to Disney and put braces on their kids and and really treat it like a a true career, which is fun. Interesting. And that really reduces the turnover of the employees as well then. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Especially somebody with a passion for fitness. Um, They can't go anywhere else and get a job or, you know, a, a career the way that we can provide. So what's changed in the organization? You've been there for about 11 years and you're now at uh, 29 locations covering about nine mm-hmm. states. What's changed in the organization kind of s- since the two locations to the 29? Gosh, so much. We've made so many mistakes and we've also had so many successes. So a lot of the changes, um, we've changed our actual model in itself, but then from franchising, creating that culture, both internal. And I know a lot of people had it during COVID, but create a remote culture where people just aren't with you all the time. That's a very complex thing to do that I would still take any tips if you have tips on that. But we definitely try to intentionally work towards, uh, we have all you know locations throughout and some of them can have one or two locations. And then others have like our Nashville locations have five within each other. They're able to create a team environment, but from the franchisor trying to create that culture, has definitely been a challenge, but one thing that I think we're getting a lot better at as we continue to grow. So do you have do you have 29 franchisees with multiple locations or do you have 29 locations from we have 29 locations total? So we actually corporately own nine. So there's 20 franchise gyms. Okay. And then nine of those are ours. Got it. Okay. And how many franchisees make up those the other 20 then? I believe it's 13. Okay. Interesting spot. Okay, keep going. Yep. So ultimately over the years, things that have changed, we, I mean, we've changed our model in different areas, sometimes mostly to fit people. And we've done some really good things with that. And we've done some poor things, meaning sometimes when people have really good skill sets, you really, really want to make, you know, right seat, right bus. So, or right people, right bus. So sometimes we have the right people, we try to fit a position for them and and it hasn't worked. And sometimes it has. But in doing that, it changes our model because we're selling a model. We're not just selling. We're just not in a corporate office where you can pivot. So making any big change like that changes our business business tremendously over time. 
Um, right now we're in a good spot where we finally made a decision that this is our model. This is what we're selling. This is what we're doing. We've done that for about three years. And we think, um, I don't believe in perfect, but I do believe that we're at a place that is extremely scalable. People are our focus. I know a lot of businesses focus on clients and many businesses should, but we really decided about three years ago to make certain that our staff was our priority. And if they're a priority, they'll take care of our clients. Our clients are being taken care of. They'll take of us. And that just the say the flywheel effect ultimately happens in that. Thousand percent agree. I've always, always, always said that your employees have to come first. And if they don't come first, they always feel like they come second. And then, but if they feel like they come first, they're going to go through brick walls to take care of your customers. Yes, absolutely. So nine corporate locations. I've always believed that great franchisors should have at least a few corporate locations. Otherwise, they have A, they have no business being in franchising and C, they really don't know what the proper systems are and kind of see like if you if you've got a good model, why are you giving it all away by to the franchisees when you could be making some of that money yourself? So absolutely. Is it a focus to always have a certain percentage of locations to be corporate or will you just open corporate? What's your corporate expansion policy or, or program, I guess? Yeah. So originally it was just to keep the five that we have in our Birmingham location. That's just where our, our hub is. And so we have five within about three miles of each other. Originally that was the plan and we weren't really going to grow too much after that, maybe seven, but still keep them local so that we can just be present. Uh, we went through, I mean, COVID and things like that. So we had three other locations that that were franchise locations that we took over during COVID when when other people couldn't. So we, we've gotten those. And then we had a staff member that honestly, we really just wanted to support and he needed to move to another state for his family. So we opened a gym because he was moving there. Other than that, it's not really our appetite to continue growing corporately. We really, we're at a place where we have a good cash flow there. We have people taken care of. We have a good test market with nine. We can test different marketing. We have systems, yeah. people. Um, beyond that, we just want to really grow the franchise the franchise company. Cool. When did you start franchising? Was that right at the beginning as well? 2013. So originally the model, the first one opened in 2010. So about three years in was officially when we started franchising. What lessons have you learned being a franchisor that you would not have learned if you were just a uh, corporate locations? Personal lessons are you have to let go of control. You have to just really realize that you have to create systems. You have to trust that other people are going to make the best decision for their business because it's not my business. Like their franchise location is their own business. Uh, we had to pick and choose what is, let's call it, there's a problems to solve and then there's problems to manage. So we had to decide what are the problems that we help them solve as business owners versus what do we just sit back and let let the, the problem kind of manage itself with them as they implement a new system. Most of the people who have bought a franchise from us were also business owners or um, one of their partners was. So that helps the fact that they are pretty familiar with business, but fitness business is a lot harder than I think most people think. Um, so getting into that and making certain we support people well. Additionally, I think a huge one, no, something that we've learned that I would not have learned in any other place is the levels of communication that have to happen are crazy in franchising. So I have to tell my team, my support team, I have to tell my management team, I have to make certain my coaches know, but then I also have to make sure owners know, managers know, coaches know, and that they've heard it. So just the layering of communication and how many things get lost 
having two corporations is is tremendous. Are there any parts of franchising that you would change? Like if, if you could change the rules around franchising or the franchise or franchisee relationship, are there any changes you'd make to the way things work now? The things that I would probably make, which sounds a little stern, are uh, like requiring quarterly, half, every half year or middle of the year meetings. Like we do one year, everybody comes together and we do like a tribe con tribe conference. Everyone leaves is on fire and it changes the business. I would make that more mandatory throughout the year multiple times because I do see the benefit of having everybody together and just kind of being rejuvenated. We did make that mandatory at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. It was in the franchise. Did you? Yeah, we put it into the franchise agreement. And my suggestion was we wanted every franchisee to come. So we wrote it in their agreement that they either the franchisee had to Mm -hmm. come or their general manager had to come. One of the two had to be there every single year. And they had to attend any regional meetings that we booked at whatever time we booked regional meetings. It was just part and parcel. I love that. The other thing that we did was we made sure that part of the recruiting process of finding franchisees where we wanted franchisees that wanted to belong, you know, they wanted to be in a group. They were part of their student council. They were part of a fraternity or sorority. They were part of their church group. They were part of Little League. Like they liked to belong to Mm -hmm. something. So they were going to come to conference because they wanted to be a part of something. Right. Yep. It has to be a little bit culty. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. No, I love that. All right. So the the people that you have coming in as franchisees, are they changing careers to become franchisees or some of them staying in their current business and putting an operator in place? Most of them right now that are coming in are staying in their current business and putting more of a partner operator. So small percentage equity in the gym. We found that if you really are running the gym and you're at a franchise location, they need to have a, a potential upside to that because it's very, we we, all, we run a small margin, have three full-time staff, and that's about it. So someone needs to act like they own the gym if they don't actually own the gym. Yeah, agreed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about COVID for a second. It's funny when you mentioned COVID, I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Crazy. COVID must have really hit your industry hard or Very in some hard. states worse than others, probably, right? Mm-hmm. So most there was 47% of gyms closed down. And I think that ended up shaking out about 37% closed for real. And all of us had to close for an extended period of time. So fortunately, this is where I know we joke that visionaries assume, you know, visionaries integrator. We joke that visionaries can like be the mad scientist and crazy, but Forrest made one of the best decisions during that period. And he just knocked out walls in our corporate office and created a what we call Zoom room. We recorded videos. We went live. I mean, we decided that we were just going to serve the clients. We brought our coaches in. They each had a day assigned. They filmed videos and just went straight remote and made sure our clients were taken care of. And that that sustained our business. We really only had two franchise locations closed during that time. And then we took over a few after that that weren't able, able to come back in. But um, we definitely beat the odds in that. Yeah, I was curious if that's where some of your nine corporate came from, where some of those takeovers of franchisees. Two of them were COVID related. One of them was just the owner just wasn't engaged necessarily. And the manager was amazing. So we really wanted that location. Got it. Okay. Now, have you continued on with the remote, with the you know at home training with clients? Is that a, a service that you offer today, or 
We do. We do. It's a smaller portion of our service because ultimately we're more of a relationship gym. We cap our membership. We don't want want a lot of members in the gym. We just want to take care of 200 ish members. And that's where our kind of sweet spot is, but we definitely have it as a service. And then also our current members still get access to all the videos and everything. So if they're traveling, it's just a great benefit that they can pull up any video and do a workout with a coach. Funny, one of my former uh, clients, one of our, our former CEO Alliance member, and then I also used to coach their CEO is a company called Loud Rumor. I don't know if you've ever heard of Loud Rumor. Oh, yeah. I work with Loud Rumor. I actually speak again at their conference in May. At GSDCon? Yeah. Yeah. This is my third one. Mike Arcee is a former client of mine. Um, some of their past speakers, yes. are, some of their past speakers are good friends of mine as well. But yeah, Mike's. So I was thinking about, about marketing for gyms and um, mm-hmm. what what do you think most gyms are doing wrong when it comes down to marketing because according to mike it seems like it's fairly formulaic like if you do the right shit and i'm also another former client of mine is alex ramosi alex and Layla used to come to my culture events before before yep. they were I doing this was like eight years ago they were clients of mine yeah so we were clients of alex yeah marketing just works right so what is it that most gyms are doing wrong and what are you guys doing marketing wise that works and you can plug louder and alex yeah, I mean, we've learned everything from a ton of different different people. I love the Hormoses, follow everything that they do. And then I obviously we're still a client allowed rumor and they're amazing. I think the majority of things that people do incorrect in the fitness industry is they don't spend enough on marketing. Um, and I'm not saying that there's always a perfect ROI on your marketing spend, but most people don't spend enough on it. And they take for granted that a lot of it, while it is direct ask. A lot of it is awareness. You just need to be the best known, not necessarily the best, right? So making certain that you're always front of mind. I think that people don't take enough time to build their content. So even though you can put ads out there, you've got to get them. Do you know how many gyms I've talked to that don't don't keep a list? They don't have their prospects that had a list. They don't have their past information. They only have their current client's information in a system. And we think there's so much gold in an email list. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, for sure. So definitely not spending enough, not keeping a list, and then um, making certain that you're constantly, we do jab, jab, punch. So like give something, give something, then ask. Give something, give something, then ask. So just really being intentional. Like how do you like to buy? And thinking through that and making certain that we're not being crazy, annoying people and we're really treating it like a luxury experience to be able to, to come through and buy from us and we really care. Yeah, I love that you actually understand the value of kind of the coaching and the masterminds as well and, and being a part of those kind of industry events too. Um, F45, not F45, sorry, Fitbody is another client, a former client of mine, Fitbody Bootcamp. Um, I used to coach them. So what do you think that um, is the difference between a franchisee and an employee? Like are your franchisees your clients or are your gym attendees your clients? Are the franchisees employee, like where, where's the franchisee fit in terms of the client or partner or. We had a very concerted effort in the very beginning. We would start calling our friends franchisees behind their back. We would call them Z's like just kind of slang, like the Z's, the Z's. And we really decided to make a decision that we would call them franchise partners. They are our partners. They are who we work with. We are locked arms with them. They are on the same level. We are, we just happen to like support them. So I put myself below our franchise partners personally, because if they're not happy, the business isn't going to run well. And it's that whole cyclical thing again. 
Um, so yeah, they are, they are partners. That was exactly what we called them at, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We called them our franchise partners. And then I tried to get the team to visualize the org chart upside down Yes. with the CEO at the bottom, supporting the C-level, supporting the managers, supporting the employees, supporting the customers, almost like an inverted pyramid. And then if everybody can see the vivid vision, you know, so do your franchisees or franchise partners do, do they see that or how do you get them to see that you're their partners versus that, you know, they're your clients? Because sometimes they feel like, you know, we work for them or there's, we're supposed to be. How do you get them to understand the relationship? Ultimately, I think the best part is we did a really bad job at it at the beginning. So we uh, not I know when you say like we're humble, but we had to just humble ourselves and just say, hey, listen, we've messed up here, here and here. We were just transparent on you don't have to believe us, but over the next year, we're going to do this. And then the next year, we'd say, over the next year, we're going to do this. And we just kept living up to what we say we do, we're going to do. And now I really believe our franchise partners trust us, like us, know us. We implemented, we do monthly calls with them. They're all on it. We do monthly calls with their managers. We do sales calls. We do, I mean, just all of the things to try to align to make certain they're included, they have a voice, what they do matters, what they say matters. And just really making certain that we have an intentional effort for them to be involved. And I think that's helped a ton. And we implemented that two years ago. And well, we implemented three years ago saying we're going to do this. And then we started getting their trust heavily over the past two years again. Are there any things that you think you do very differently as a franchisor that other franchise companies would say are best practice? Like, have you thrown out some of the best practices and say, no, we have a better way? Um, I wouldn't say we're any smarter than anybody else. I'm just uncertain, but we do have a, an intentional effort towards uh, creating relationships. So, I mean, I would consider a lot of the franchise owners or managers are friends. Uh, we know about personal life. We know about all that. I'll personally coach them. I mean, I have a girl right now and we're doing, making certain that we have a protein shake a day and that we aren't having alcohol more than once a week right now. And we're working out. I mean, we really create we're doing life together. And I think that makes a big difference in going through business together as well. That's cool. Does um, Desire and Tribe have coaching as part of its model as well? Or is it just on the fitness side? What other, do you have any other products and services that you're also selling? Selling to the clients? Yeah. No, I mean, we, we're about, I mean, it's kind of like, but we're about to start selling more high-end coaching services short-term just for people to onboard, but it's not something we have right now. It's something we do for our team and our franchise partners. And it's something that we believe that our managers could execute really well on because they've been a product of it for so many years. I know a lot of gyms and fitness places got into private label, you know, supplements and bars and drinks and stuff. Are you guys doing anything around that yet? Or are you just staying focused on the actual core currently? We sell a bunch of supplements. We looked into the private label and I just really believe some people out there are already doing products really well. And we do a lot of research. We think there's power in partners too. So we love selling products, but we like to pivot and change. And honestly, our coaches are, it's bottom up. Like they're the ones who said, I love these products. I could sell these. I love them. I would, they're genuine and listening to them and selling the products that they've asked for has drastically changed our product sales. Yeah, that's cool. So what's the plan for the next five years? How many locations are you going to have five years from now? Where are you franchising? What's the focus there? So we have a 2030 goal. So we don't have a five-year goal. So with 2030, we will be a $100 million brand. And that's our big goal. Ultimately, what that works out to is about 156 thriving locations. 
But how, but we wanted to set that goal because how we get there could look differently, but we will be a hundred million dollar brand in the year 2030, whatever that ends up looking like by then. Okay. So then reverse engineering, is that all in North America? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you going to stay intentionally a U.S. only brand? Are you going into Canada at all? Are you going to stay uh, away from the international markets? As of right now, to get to that goal, just simply stay probably even a little more Southeastern. That's, I think we could fit there. I think it's easy to support. Uh, it's a culture we really understand. If someone wanted to buy outside of that, absolutely. It's just simply right now, that's kind of our focus and our growth path where we're trying to target new franchise partners. All right. So you've been with the company now for 11 years. I'm sure that it has um, always been easy, right? Always. It's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I've never yeah. tried to quit. What, what, <laughs> what have the struggles been for you over the years? Uh, some of it's just growth struggles. Again, I started basically as a, a little girl and grew, grew into who I am now. And I'm sure I'll say that again in 12 years. Um, but the struggles have even been, so I think perception of how I'm perceived is often a concern of mine. Um, not necessarily that I care what people think, but I, I want to be understood. And so that's played off in the business of I'm a behind the scenes person and always have been and enjoy it. I love that the CEO can be front of the scenes. I love being the helper. That's my skill set. I'm good at caring for people. I'm good at hard conversations. I'm good at, at doing either of that. Um, we've always said that Forrest, you know, paints the walls and I paint the corners. Like I make certain that everything is, is in place. People are taken care of, ducks are in a row, all of that. And I also have a team that helps me do that because I'm not great at details at this point. But at the end of the day, ultimately, the hardest things have been Forrest and I getting on the same page, visionary integrator, and being able to get to the place. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are great visionaries and a lot of people who are great integrators, but they may not work well together. And so us deciding or realizing that we had good chemistry as just coworkers and we're able to tell each other when you have a bad idea, tell each other when, you know, something you did was stupid, or I can go to him real quick and say, Hey, I really need you to call this employee and give them a pep talk. So creating that relationship, we've had downsides of it, obviously, but I think that's the biggest learning curve I've had in how hard the business can be is making certain that you have someone that you trust in the company that you can go behind closed doors, you can work out hard problems. You can, we bring in coaches all the time. If, if him and I aren't communicating well, almost like a married couple where if we need somebody to step in yep. and, and help us, we do it for the business. So if we need someone in the middle, someone's coming in and we're going to figure it out together. We have had um, a very, very high powered marriage counselor. She's a marriage counselor to a lot of the Wall Street power executives. Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's come and spoken to the COO Alliance twice. She's speaking at one of our COO Alliance events again this coming May. Um, her name is Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, but she's, she basically does marriage counseling for CEOs and COOs and really helps them understand that, that dynamic. Yeah. Even I'm, I'm going to drop in the, in the chat just for you, but take a look at the last last third of my my newest book, The Second in Command, is all about the relationship between the CEO and COO and how to continue to build those strong relationships. Awesome. So the, you, you, you mentioned the visionary integrator a few times. So do you follow the traction EOS model? We do um, a little more loosely than, than it's laid out. We have a um, sort of an EOS coach that comes in and helps us. He's not directly with EOS, but definitely same principles. Okay. And has that been helpful for you? 
Oh, it's super helpful. It's, it's more helpful in the fact of it's easy to teach to other people because we want it to be able to scale. Again, like I said, we have the complication of a corporate team and then a franchise team. And so we don't quite fit into EOS with, with the two different teams. So we've had to, to customize it a little bit. That makes sense. Um, how about yourself in terms of your skills? What specifically have you had to work on over the years for you to continue to grow as president of the company? Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm a very naturally confident person. And I know that's not necessarily skill, but being able to be okay, being in front of people confident, like I'm confident, like I can do anything. You can give it to me. I'll knock it out. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of people. But one of the things that my team, so we have two people on the leadership team for us. And then a guy named Kyle that they have really pushed me to figure out is the skill of being confident about my confidence. So getting on podcasts, talking on stage, be like really stepping out there and, and talking about it and telling people versus I'll sit in my office all day and have meetings with people and never act like I'm a leader ever. So trying to figure out that skill set to come in front of people and be proud of, of who I am and what we do as I know that's not, but it is when you want to grow a brand and you want to help people and it sounds like, Oh, poor Karen, you have to go talk on stage. I don't really want to like, I, I like working in my business, but getting out. It's probably one of, it's probably one of the core skills that we work with our COO Alliance members on is the imposter syndrome and getting rid of the imposter syndrome and building them up so that they feel the confidence in the day to day confidence to lead their teams, lead themselves, lead their CEO, lead suppliers. And there's this weird thing of like, because every day the company gets to be the biggest thing we've ever built. Um, you have to keep working on that confidence. So no, I totally get it. It makes yeah. sense. Well, and the, the whole thing from, I mean, in any early company, you're a doer, you do the job, you work on the job, you always go through it. You, even if you're not doing all of it, and then all of a sudden you become a leader and you almost do nothing, but lead people. Like, I don't accomplish anything in my day. I don't write a new system. I don't get, you know, like I get home and I'm like, well, I talked to 12 people today. You know, yeah. Even that mindset shift is like, this is, this is so different. You, you're never achieved. You haven't reached it. It's, it's just a funny concept to, to make that transition. It's bizarre. Our, our job as leaders is to grow people, not to do work. Yes. Which is, yeah, it's a very weird, weird feeling for sure. Talk about the people side of the business. I know that it's a strength of yours and it's a real passion for yours. So give us some, I guess, some um, some of your beliefs around the people side of the business and some of your focuses around people and leveraging people. Yeah, so ultimately with our flywheel being, we want to create careers in fitness. That's That's where it starts. But my natural passion is again, back to the doers versus leaders is I had to tell myself people are more important than tasks. And when I started to realize how much more important people are than tasks and how much it changes our business to invest in people, it tremendously changed my life. It changed other people's lives. I mean, especially in fitness, it's so hard to have a career in fitness. So to be so rewarding with, I have staff that can make six figures in a fitness business and they're just, an, not just, a, but they're an employee, right? They don't have the responsibilities of all of that. So it's really important. Um, I'm a big wow type person. Like I'm, I mean, it just sounds, I'm like patting myself on the back. I'm a naturally thoughtful person and I'm trying to figure out how to make certain that that's something that people learn from as well. So constantly I'm like, oh, it's their birthday or, oh, they got their haircut, call ahead and pay for it. Or, oh, they did that. So ultimately those little things, I even put it on the calendar. I put it on the calendar for my franchise partners to even see. 
pay attention to your staff this week? Could you handwrite them a note? Could you do this? All the little things that I think people think, oh, I'm not natural at it. I'm not either. It's just on my calendar. And I think anybody could take care of their people better if they just thought about it. I always say, why don't you just take time, time to think to think? Most people don't take time to think to think. If you sat down and said, today, I'm going to think about my staff, pull up your calendar, you look at things over the next month, you could create a crazy experience by 20 minutes of thinking to think about your people just because you took the time. Wow. You know, who was brilliant at that was Howard Bihar, who was one of the four CEOs ever at Starbucks. And Howard would spend two hours every Friday handwriting thank you notes to people in stores throughout the system. Every single Friday, two hours every Friday, handwriting thank you notes. And he never knew who to thank. He would His assistant would give him a list of people. But he was spending 5% of his time every single week just being thoughtful and saying thank you and showing gratitude. It's huge. And leaders don't do enough of that at all. Mm-mm. At all. All right. Let's go back. Go back to the 21, 22-year-old Karen Broadwater. She needs some advice from the current Karen. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today? Speak louder. I know sometimes often when I'm right and I will step back from it. And I think a lot of people know when they're right and they cower because that person they're speaking to is more powerful. And I think that there's a way to finesse that conversation and make certain that you're heard respectfully. And I definitely would give her that advice of, of speak up and speak up sooner again, respectfully. And then additionally, I would say I would have probably told myself to intentionally care and invest in people earlier. One advice that I got a long time ago was empty all of your information on everyone that you meet. Don't hold anything back because ultimately you can make them so much better than you are by teaching them everything. And I didn't really understand what that looked like because I thought that would be overwhelming. And now I really understand it. I really understand anybody in my company wants to learn anything. I'll teach them. They can have my brain. They can have my job. I don't care. And it's only helped the company grow so much faster by just anybody wants it. You can take it from me, my brain. I don't care. That's cool. Um, So I would have definitely told me to do that sooner. I love it. Taryn Broadwater, the president of Iron Tribe Fitness. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. I hope it helped your audience and I enjoyed it. So thank you. Fantastic. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.